0: Imagine being 21 and having lost all of your family, having lost your father, mother, and siblings. That would be terrible. Now let's throw on top of that living in a country that is besieged by enemies on all sides and trying to live through uh, one of the one of the major theaters of the Second World War. Right? We would probably say that that person would. If they emerged from this time period, they would do so very bitter, cynical, perhaps angry, uh, perhaps understandably so, but we would be wrong. Such was the early life of a man named Karol Wojtyła, the future Pope St. John Paul II. This Monday marks the 100th anniversary of his birth, May 18, 1920, in Poland. Poland was a nat- nation which would suffer tremendously in the Second World War. Beginning in 1939, Young Karol Wojtyła experienced how brutal life could be under the Nazi regime. Yet when the war ended, it wasn't liberation and freedom for Poland, but merely trading one monster for another. Instead of Hitler's SS, it was Joseph Stalin's Red Army which took control of Poland. Another brutal totalitarian dictatorship came to rule his native land. Carol Voitiwa had every reason to be bitter at the end of the Second World War, yet not only was he not bitter, he was joyful and hopeful in the midst of this objectively terrible time. He had something that gave him peace, even while living under the two most brutal dictatorships in human history, even while losing his last living family member, his father, who died of a heart attack in 1941. That's something was his Catholic faith, his relationship with Jesus Christ. Some three decades later, on October 16, 1978, the Polish Cardinal, Karol Wojtyła was elected the 264th Pope. He was the first non-Italian Pope in almost 500 years, and he was relatively young, 58 years old. Yet he faced, he faced a difficult challenge, In 1978, the Church was in the midst of something that can really be described as an identity crisis. The Second Vatican Council had brought such hope, but the way it was implemented often created confusion, disagreement, dissension. In 1978, the the feeling was that nothing was certain anymore, that everything was up in the air. And the result of all this discouragement, doubt, and confusion was... Uh, something that uh, Bishop Robert Barron has called beige Catholicism. You know, uh, Bishop Barron defines beige Catholicism as a bland, overly accommodating, watered-down version of Catholicism. It is an approach to the faith that downplays what we believe in. It, It downplays... The sacramental life downplays the 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 challenges, the moral challenges of the gospel and the Catholic faith, uh, all in an effort to accommodate the culture and fit in, to go along, to get along, just be a good person, and that is enough. Uh, beige Catholicism says. Yet in the face of discouragement, doubt, and confusion, in the in the face of beige Catholicism, Pope Saint John Paul II boldly proclaimed. Do not be afraid. Open wide the doors for Christ. During the next 27 years, he would sit on the chair of St. Peter. The saintly pope fulfilled the command of St. Peter in our second reading today. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence. At a time when many were doubting, Maybe some were perhaps tempted to give up. Along comes this Polish Pope who instead of accommodating the secular culture, instead of downplaying the distinctive vigor, vigorous, uh, vigorousness of the faith, he proclaimed the fullness of the Catholic faith with all its distinctiveness, its challenges, and it began to bear fruit. When the world said Catholicism was a relic of medieval superstition doomed to fade away, here was a brilliant charismatic and holy man whose very life was a counter-argument the secular world couldn't refute. Let me give an example of of how he fulfilled this command from from St. Peter's first letter from our second reading. At World Youth Day in Toronto in August 2000, John Paul II said, quote, "...it is Jesus, in fact, that you seek when you dream of happiness." He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. We see in this quote, John Paul is calling the young people of the world to embrace the challenge of following Christ, to first recognize that in their heart of hearts, it is truly Christ who they seek. But secondly, to embrace that challenge, to not Settle for the comfortable mediocrity of beige Catholicism or the secular world. The life of John Paul II, it ought to inspire us to try to live the countercultural, vibrant Catholicism of the saints, to engage and challenge the culture, to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. Because here's the deal St. Peter, in our second reading, he isn't merely talking. He isn't talking merely to future popes. He's talking to us all. We all need to be always ready to give a defense, to give an explanation for the reason of our hope. And really, I think what what this means is three things for us. First, and for some of us, this first one is going to be the most challenging. First, we need to be willing to talk and even disagree with others about religion, right? Uh, let me give an example of why I say this is going to be hard for some people. Let's say you're talking to an atheist who says God doesn't exist. Well, the politically correct thing to say is, well, you know, that's not what I believe, but, it, you know, you know, that's my truth. You know, what works for you, you do you. You find your own path, right? Uh, that is what the culture says we ought to do. Who am I to question the religious beliefs of another, says the world we live in. But as Catholics and Christians, we must say no. We have to say, look, I respectfully disagree. You're wrong. God exists. And then this is, this is also a challenging part. Here is how we know God exists and to be able to explain that. Now, part of this equation means we need to know the faith well enough to explain it, to defend it. Uh, we need to study, in other words. And I, I I know I talked about this last week, but it's true. We need to, we need to study and form our intellect. All right. We need to have a spiritual life. We need to pray. We need to frequent the sacraments. But, you know, God gave us a rational intellect uh, that seeks to know the truth. And we need to know the truth about the Catholic faith. Uh, so we need to read good Catholic books. Um, you know, for instance, recently I've picked up Pope Benedict XVI. He wrote that three-volume uh, trilogy, Jesus of Nazareth. I, I've been rereading the first volume. I read it before a long time ago, and you know, obviously, I didn't memorize it, so I forgot most of it. And and it's been great to reread it. You know, you could you could read the three-part Jesus of Nazareth series, or read Scott Hahn or Brant Petrie. You know, re- there are good Catholic authors out there. Uh, we need to form our intellect. That that needs to be a part of our uh, life as, as Catholic Christians so that we can give a defense of, of the faith. Now, this, this doesn't mean that we have to have the answer for every question at any time. I mean, you know, I went to six years of seminary. Um, it's still very common for somebody to come to me with a question about Catholicism. And I have to say, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'll get back to you it's okay to say that, right? God knows we're not a computer, you know? Uh, If somebody comes to us with a question we don't know, we just say, I don't know, I'll check. I'll let you know and we get back to them. So the first part is we need to be willing to talk and disagree with people on religion. The second part is we need to study and know the faith. And then the third part, we need to engage in these religious arguments for the right motivation, right? And that motivation is love, of souls, love for souls. So St. Peter says, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence. We need to be ready to give a reason defense of the faith to argue, but we must do so with gentleness and reverence, with humility and charity, right? And this actually, this actually can be one of the most convincing arguments for the faith because it is so countercultural. right? We live in a world where it's all about making your opponent seem stupid and and ridiculous. And um, this can really take people by surprise. When when somebody we disagree vigorously with, we still show them compassion and love and respect. We can and should love those we disagree with. In other words, we need to be more concerned with winning a soul for Christ than winning an argument. May Pope St. John Paul II inspire us to live the faith in its fullness, to embrace the challenges of following Christ. And may we always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ.